Take your Bible and find Acts chapter 13. You can follow online the pastorjohnbeck.com. I try to make my outline available each week. It's easy to follow along and some of the things that I say are in there. Some of the things I don't say are in there. But it's uh, several people have mentioned they enjoy following it along. But that is just my notes. So Acts, Acts chapter 13, we're kind of bringing to a conclusion our look at the book of Acts and this life together. And uh, for several weeks we've had in our order of service this idea of koinonia, the idea of, of fellowship. And you, you, a lot of times people say, well, why would, why would you even need to talk about fellowship? You know, most Baptist churches have a fellowship hall. We have a, you know, a building dedicated to it. Uh, the reason is I do think that churches today have missed that understanding of what it is to be part of the body of Christ. Um, I'm not um, making light of kind of how we do things, but even, even the church that I stayed at this weekend with Disaster Relief is a wonderful church. I'm not saying the church is not a wonderful church, but I think it's just the way that we tend to do things. Senior adult ministry youth ministry, children's ministry, you know, children's building, youth building, senior adult building. And, um, you know, I've heard, you know, comments just being a pastor. That's the youth building. That's where youth are. We don't, you know, we don't let, yet let the youth do what they're going to do. And, and that, I don't think we really mean anything by it, but what are we doing? Senior adult ministry, youth ministry, children's ministry. And then when we gather for worship, it's almost become like in some circles uh, uh, a sitting and observing and, and watching and even learning. And then the service is over and we, we, we walk out and we, we get in our car and we go home and the, 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 the week continues again and we come back on Wednesday night in youth ministry, children's ministry. And I know those in and of themselves are not bad, but I think over the years... We lost the idea of what true koinonia, what true fellowship is, what, what life together is. We are all so busy and we are all running the same rat race trying to just survive, but yet we forget that the church is the one place that we should be able to come together and do God's work together. And as we look at the book of Acts, we see a special church. And we see a church that literally turned the world upside down. And we see the birth of the first missionary movement. And because of that church, we're able to sit here today and to worship because of the gospel that was spread to us uh, literally uh, in, in the United States, going back in our own generational history. But this church, the book of Acts, has nothing any more than what we have today. They have the Holy Spirit. We have the message of Jesus Christ. We have the word of God. But yet I'm afraid in our land today we're missing what the church is really all about. And so we've looked at that. And I want to bring it all to kind of a, a conclusion today. Acts chapter 13, just three simple verses. Acts chapter 13, this doing life together. And as we look at it this morning, this idea of believing and sending and going and the impact a true church can have. Acts chapter 13, beginning in verse 1. Now there were in the church in Antioch prophets and teachers. Barnabas and Simeon was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, a member of the court of Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. So we see a, a list of the, of the people, part of the people here at the church. Verse 2, while they were worshiping in the Lord and fasting, 
This idea of setting apart something in order to seek the Lord. So they were, they were worshiping the Lord and they were fasting. And the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Now you remember from last week in Acts chapter 11, we see the church beginning to explode and the church in Jerusalem hears what's going on in Antioch and so they send Barnabas to Antioch to see what's going on and he sees uh, the hand of God is on the church and so Barnabas looks and says, you know what, we, I need some help. And he sends for Saul and he goes to Tarsus and he gets Saul. And I'm not even sure if I mentioned this last week or not, but when Saul came to the church in Antioch, that was some 10 years after his conversion. And God prepared Saul and, and ministered to, to Paul in a very special way. As we read the book of Acts, we think it's from day to day to day. Some 10 years had taken place before Saul came to Antioch and God used him in that way. And so here we see Saul again, and it said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. Then after praying and fasting, they laid hands on them, and they sent them off. In Acts chapter 13, verse 1 here, all the way through Acts chapter 14, verse 28, is that first missionary movement. And so if you go back, and you, anybody have maps in your Bible? And you go back and you look at your maps and most, most of all the good Bible maps, they'll have the, the missionary journeys of, of Paul and Barnabas. This is, this is missionary trip one. And the church of Antioch is literally sending them out of their church to go make a difference for the world. Let's bow in prayer. Lord, I pray that we would be those people that we would gather and that we would love one another and we would love sitting in Bible study and we would love meeting in small little groups. But I pray that we understand that that is just a part of who we are that prepares us to be who we are. What we have in our brain and the doctrine and the knowledge and the worship and the corporate things that we do are just there so that we may honor and glorify you we may learn more of you so that we may go forth and be your ambassadors. That we may be the light in a dark world. That we may be your people on mission for you. So Lord, I pray this morning that you would convict us. Regardless of age or physical abilities or spiritual maturity, that you would show us that you are calling us to be people you're calling us to be the church ascending and a going people and this we pray in Christ's name amen I think what makes the, the church of Acts so wonderful is that it's what they were able to accomplish and as we read the Bible, we, we read it in such a way and we look at them and we marvel at what they were able to accomplish. But again, they can accomplish only that which the Lord has allowed them to accomplish and everything that the Lord gave them to accomplish and the means to accomplish it is the same thing that he has given us. The same spirit, the same word, the same gospel, the same lostness. Do we need to vote and see if we have a business meeting tonight? Do we need to vote before we have a business meeting? How many people believe we live in a lost world? Say amen. Any opposing, there are none. So moved. We live in a lost world. 
this crazy world. I got up early this morning and then I hadn't heard anything about Pittsburgh. I'm like, you're, we're shooting people in synagogues. They were beheading apostles of Jesus Christ. We're pushing Jesus out of, out of this and out of that and we, we don't know this and know that. We're not honoring the Lord. They didn't honor the Lord in these communities. It was lost and dark and pagan and anti-God. But I think the thing that bothers us so much is in our country, maybe it wasn't that way at one time. But we've always lived in a lost country in the need of Jesus Christ. And I think one of the dangers that we have in America today is we've developed this bunker mentality that the world is evil and the world is bad and so we're just going to bunker in and hunker down and, and build protections all around us and we're going to huddle in and we're going to be the church and be un, unstained by the tainted world. And I think that is so sad. I think we need to be wise and we need to be careful and we need to be in the world but not of it. But God has called us to be the light in the world. The only hope the world has is the gospel of Jesus Christ. We can sit and talk and debate and argue and ponder and think. The only way that our country is going to change is through the gospel message of Jesus Christ. The only thing that's going to help our neighbors is the gospel message of Jesus Christ. The only thing that's going to, to save Avon Park and our city is the gospel message of Jesus Christ. And that's what we have been gifted with. And that's what God has told us to be stewards of. So I pray that we would be a church, not that we are, not that we aren't, but that we would be a church like the church of Acts. Number one, seems kind of weird to say this, but the first thing is we got to be a Christian people. Acts chapter 11, they were preaching the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the grace of God was apparent. The hand of the Lord was upon them. And many people repented and placed their faith in Christ. We looked at that last week. And the church began to explode. And lives began to be transformed. And people began to grow daily in their knowledge and understanding of the Lord. And a lifestyle happened. And a, a change took place. And you could obviously see that these were a Christian people. Remember from last week, they were preaching the gospel message of Jesus Christ. They responded in faith. They continued steadfast in that faith. And the community looked into their people and said, those are Christians. They respond to the gospel by repentance and faith. They continued steadfastly for a, a whole year, growing and maturing in their faith. And I get asked this often as a pastor, what does it mean to grow in a Christian? What is this idea of sanctification? Let me tell you the easiest way to explain what the goal of the Christian life is. Christ-likeness. Let me let you in on a little favor. I'm not there yet. I'm going to let you in on that. Did y'all know that I'm not like Jesus? Anybody be you realize that? I'm not Jesus. So guess what? I'm still growing. My goal is not to do anything but to be more like Jesus tomorrow than I am today. 
My goal in the Christian life is to take God's word and God's spirit and apply that into my heart and knowing that God knows who I am. He knows he created me. He knows what I do well. He knows what I don't do well. He knows me. And all he is asking me to do is to love him and to become more like him. That's it. He's given us everything we need to accomplish that. That's what it means to be a Christian. Not just to belong to a church, not just to believe in God, not just hope that when you die you go to heaven one day. It means that I have repented of my sin. I have placed my faith in Christ, in Christ alone for salvation. I love the Lord Jesus Christ. I love the things that he loves. And my goal every day is to be more like Jesus and less like me. That is not that hard. But boy, don't we make that difficult. They were a Christian people that were willing to live in a secular world and to be so much like Jesus that the world itself said those people look like Jesus. Those people are Christians. And so in order to be a church that really gets this, we've got to be a church that really gets what it means to be Christian people. We teach the gospel, we preach the gospel, we share the gospel, we raise the standards of the gospel. I heard a, a pastor say one time, wherever you raise the bar of expectation will be what you become. And if you raise the gospel bar as high as it needs to go, that Jesus alone is the only way, through grace alone, through faith alone, if we raise that bar, that we trust the gospel, we proclaim the gospel, we understand the power of the gospel, then guess what's going to happen? The gospel is going to have an impact in people's lives. That's all we have to worry about getting the gospel right, getting the word right, and believing that word and teaching that word and living that word out. They were a Christian people. There was no compromise. In our world today, I love, you know, my, my, my theories of Walmart. I love Walmart. Life happens at Walmart. You walk around Walmart. And we flippantly just could ask random people, are you a Christian? Well, sure, I'm a Christian. It's almost like just because you're an American, you're a Christian. Or just because you went to church, you're a Christian. Or just because you believe in God, you're a Christian. That's exciting to know, but that is not a Christian. A Christian is someone that loves the Lord Jesus Christ and is willing to do anything for him and through him. That is the people that we need to be that we love Jesus Christ and we love the things that Jesus Christ loves and that Jesus Christ is just a big deal in our life. If we do that, everything else just seems to fall into place. So they were a Christian people. Secondly, they were a consecrated people. Look at verse 2. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting... The Holy Spirit said. So they were a, a consecrated people. And so their behavior and their actions were different. Why is it that God uses some churches in a, a way that you could see his hand in favor on them? And why is it that God does not use some churches that way? Why is it that some Christians turn out to be missionaries like a Lottie Moon, but yet then there are some Christians that you read the obituary and you found out they went to church and it surprised you? And I think the issue is consecration. 
that we are willing to do and to live in such a way that we can experience and hear the things of the Lord that unless you're willing to put yourself there, you can never grasp. Notice what they were doing. It's just a short little statement here. Notice what they were doing here. And they were worshiping. It carries the idea of, of serving like a priesthood, that the, the priests were worshiping the Lord. And as we look at the Old Testament, especially in the book of Leviticus, we see that the priests were set apart for a specific work. And that whole lineage and that whole family of the Levites, that's what they did. And they were set apart for the work of the Lord. And that's where we get this word serving and, and worshiping. And so what they were doing is they were worshiping the Lord, that everything that their life revolved around was the Lord what if we really did that you know I think we do things differently with the Lord it's like I've heard this my whole life we kind of put God up on his shelf and we have God and we put him up on our shelf and we this is God that's my you know kind of like a family heirloom we put it up on the shelf and somebody could come by and go oh that's pretty that's a pretty plate oh that was my grandmother's and somebody can walk in and go, oh, is that Jesus? Yes, I'm a Christian. And I've got Jesus up on my little shelf. But he's just up there right now because everything's okay in my life. And John's able to accomplish what John needs to do. And John's being John and everything's going great. But it doesn't take many days for John to be John and things get sideways. Oh, my goodness, something didn't happen the way I wanted it to happen. I better go get Jesus off the shelf because I need some help. Why would Jesus do this? I've got him on my little shelf, and he's so important in my life, and I don't understand why Jesus would do this. That's what we do with Jesus. We just set him apart when we need him. He's a special little thing that's part of our life. And the early church says, oh, no, no. Our life revolves around serving and worshiping the Lord Jesus. Thessalonians talks about pray without ceasing. It's the idea that we don't walk around praying with our eyes shut and praying all the time. It's this idea that in season, out of season, day and night, I'm constantly worshiping. I'm constantly set apart for the work of the Lord. He's not just something that I call upon on Sunday or I reach out to and I need something, that my entire life is worshiping the Lord. And literally, it's a like of dedication. We have set our life in dedication unto the Lord and whatever he would have us to do as that priest, it is dedicated to the service of the Lord. Listen to Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 through 10. This idea of a consecrated people of worship slash dedication. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 through 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God. Not a result of work so that no one may boast. The idea is that if I have earned my salvation or if I have worked my way to salvation, then it is not a gift of God. It is by grace that I have been saved by God. For it is by grace that you have been saved. Look at verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. What's right after that? For what? For good works. We are created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And so the early church was consecrated 
people. They were worshiping dedicated people unto the Lord Jesus Christ for good works. Now, this works does not necessarily mean jobs that you need to do around the church and everything you need to be doing and checking your box. It's not a, a weekend honey-do list. I, am I doing everything just right to please the Lord? No, works is the result of living a life of God. I think about it from a uh, think about a, a marriage standpoint, and you've just set aside a, as a husband, and you just say, "Lord, I I want to be a good husband, and I want to I want to I want to treat my wife in a way that's going to be pleasing to you." And you you dedicate your life to the thing to the Lord and to the Word, and you understand what that looks like. And because you have set apart and you're worshiping and you've dedicated that life as a husband unto the Lord Jesus Christ, guess what is going to flow from that? Somebody's going to ask your wife, what kind of husband you got? A good one. Why? Because he just, because of his relationship with the Lord, he naturally treats me like the wife I need to be treated. Because I've got that relationship with the Lord, I naturally treat my children the way they need to be treated. Works is not something that you do. Works is a manifestation of the life that you have. People that struggle with works are trying to work their way. They're trying to do things to please God. We don't work to please God. We work because we have a relationship with God. Works is just a, an overflow of the inflow of a spirit-filled life. Works is not coming to church, tithing, doing that. We come to church, we tithe, we witness, we serve because of the relationship we have with the Lord. And so I would submit to you this morning, if your works aren't matching up, it's because your relationship with Christ is not matching up. And if you are concerned about what you're doing for the Lord, don't worry about the works, just serve the Lord. The works will follow. I've never met a person that did not love the Lord Jesus Christ and his life didn't mimic that. If you love the Lord, you're going to go to church when you can. I mean, it's not, I mean you, it's not legalism. If you love the Lord, you're going to talk about the Lord. If you love the Lord, you're going to be praying. If you love the Lord, you're going to treat people right. Those works just take care of themselves. But for us to say that we have a relationship with Christ and it's just between me and the Lord and you should never judge anybody by what they do, that is not biblical. Who we are with the Lord comes out on who we are with other people. And these people worshipped and were dedicated to the Lord. And they loved him and they served him. And the most important thing was not what he could do for them, but how they could serve and love him. I think sometimes we miss that. It's not about what God can do for us. It's what he's already done for us. It's how we can worship and adore him. Secondly there, notice there in verse 2, they were a fasting people. Now fasting carries the idea of setting apart something in order to seek. They would, they would fast from food. They would fast from things in order that they could seek after the Lord. You know what we do? We do just the opposite. When I'm not so busy, then I'll have time for the Lord. It's like we all have a, a Google God calendar. I have a Google calendar on my phone. I can just look on there and I, I even get real fancy and highlight it by colors. Oh, green day, red day, yellow day. Hey, it looks like we got a free Sunday. Y'all think we ought to go to church? Family? We're going to church. We got a free Sunday. Aren't we spiritual? 
Hey, I think we might have time. Honey, we get all the bills paid this week. What do we have left over? Let's throw that $20 bill to the Lord this month. Amen. Aren't we spiritual? And what we do is we give the Lord what we have left over from our schedule, from our time, from our talents. These people did away with all of that in order just to seek the Lord. That's a big difference, isn't it? Some of us cannot lay claim to God doing something so radical in our life, and our church life, because we're doing what we need to be doing, and we're giving the Lord what's left over instead of, I mean, think about being a family. Every, every phase of my father life, I thought I would have more time the next season. Baby's just born. Whew, when these babies get walking, life's going to be easy. You imagine three little becks running around the house? Woo, when they can get out of that baby bed, life's going to be easier. Oh, my goodness. When they get in middle school, life's going to be so easy. Oh, when they get in high school. I remember this. This wasn't that long ago. When they get out of the house, I will not worry about them at all. Y'all did not tell me that you worry more about them now than you did then. That is insane. I can't imagine what it's going to be like when little George Ann gets older. Every season of life, we say, when I get to the next season, then I'm going to start doing this. Boy, when I retire, I'm going to get up for three hours every morning and just have a quiet time. I cannot wait. Oh, when I get out of that, when I get out, until you get to that point, if you're not willing to make that decision right now, it'll never change. This early church had nothing. And they depended on one another for everything. And even having nothing, they were willing to do without that in order to seek the face of God. I wonder when was the last time we got real serious about worshiping the Lord and fasting and seeking Him. It's not about not doing food and not doing this. It's not like, well, I'm going to go home today and seek the Lord. I'm not going to watch the NFL and just seek the Lord. No, it's, a, it's, it's this attitude of I want to know exactly what He wants in my life. And I'm going to have this desire to know Him and to pray and to seek His face. And I'm willing to do away with everything else, anything earthly pleasure that may make me excited. You know, as a grandfather now, it's kind of like the idea, do I love Jesus more than I love my grandchild? Do I love Jesus more than I love my wife? Do I love the Lord more than I love leading a church? Do I love the Lord? You know, we, we, we have to love the Lord Jesus Christ more than anything else, and to seek Him, then everything else falls into play. I know y'all get tired of Pastor John's stories, but here you go. I went to Louisville this week, Georgianne visit. She is precious, by the way. I may have to change my name to Dada so that she can say my name all the time. That's, that's a, her vocabulary is Dada, 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 Dada. A lot of times when I'm in conversations, I know what I'm preaching on, so it's kind of like illustrations just kind of come out because I know what I'm preaching on. So I was sitting there, and we were talking to Brantley and Katie, and of course, I'm a parent now. You're limited to what advice you can give to married. Y'all didn't tell me that, okay? Y'all should have wrote these things down for me. 
And so we're talking big people stuff. And it dawned on me, because I know where I'm going Sunday morning. You know all the stuff that we're busy with as parents thinking that are important for our children? All A's, honor roll, perfect attendance, all stars, you know, college this, all the stuff that make us so nervous now. You know what I'm talking about? If I hit, if I, you know what I'm saying? You know we don't ever talk about that now. I mean, we don't go, Dad, you remember that time we drove to Ohio and I was an all-star? And I go, yes, wasn't that life transforming? You know what we talk about now? Dad, it's a lot of pressure being a dad now. And we just, we found a church and we went through a new member class and I'm really praying about work and, you know, Katie's doing well. It's funny, we talk about gospel stuff. Because guess what he need? Guess what our children need? They need gospel stuff. They don't need all A's. Now don't go home and tell your parents the pastor said. They don't need all A's. They don't need this. They don't need to be on every all-star team. It's okay if they miss a practice. You know, I literally had, and I love sports. I mean, I wore a red jacket this morning. You know, literally I had a church member one time tell me when their child before middle school, they came to me and said, he was a leader of our church. He said, just want to let you know we're going to be missing some Sundays. And that's always bad when, that, when that's the first sentence out. Just want to let you know. My daughter's been asked to be on a travel softball team. I'm like going, you know, people say, I can't believe you said that. I'm telling you, if you knew what I wanted to say all the time, I want to look at him and say, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. And this is his words. If he, she doesn't get on this team, she may not make the varsity. Well, that's something I'd be excited about. I mean, when you get to glory, do you think the Lord Jesus Christ cares if you made the varsity softball team? I almost said the school, then it might get the person out. Do you think the Lord cares about that? Or do you think the Lord would rather hear, or when you're raising that child now, boy, I'm glad we brought that child up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. I'm glad that sitting under the word of God on a regular basis was the most important thing in our life. That's what me and my family talk about now. The gospel. Make the gospel a big deal in your life. Let that be the most important thing. As a parent, that's the foundation you're building on. Spend time, do sports, have fun stuff, do what you enjoy doing. Let that be something that you enjoy doing as a family. But make the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ the most important thing. Have an attitude of fasting and doing away with anything other than building upon the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. They were a Christian people that were concentrated to the things of the Lord. And Jesus was a big deal to them. But they were also a commissioning people. You know, one of the things now in, in church growth, in Minnesota, this is a mega church. In Minnesota, we've probably got double the attendance of what it would be at the, the annual meeting. Now, you know, if you walked into a church, you know, and, and so, you know, here we are as a church. We, want, we, we're, we count every Sunday, and, you know, we're worried about how much blue we have. And if we get, you know, buildings, budgets, and, you know, uh, years ago, it was all bust on your budget, your buses, and your buildings. How many buses you had, how many buildings you had, and what your budget. And we grow and grow and grow and grow and grow. You ever notice that there's a, a church growth movement out there in church planning? It's grow and divide, grow and divide, grow and divide. I was talking to a pastor one time. He said, Lord, I hope we never do get a building. 
I said, explain. I knew what he was saying. I said, explain to me why you don't want to build a building. He said, the minute we get a building, we, be, we turn inward. As long as we're meeting in this school, we're working and we're serving. And I said, well, what are you going to do when you outgrow the school? He said, we're going to go to another neighborhood and, and take our church and grow another church. I said, man, that is awesome. So when a hurricane comes, the school can put the roof back on it. That's neat. That's a good plan. You know? Not growing to get big, but growing so that others can go. The early church was a, a commissioning church. They understood what their life was all about. As they grew closer to Christ and they set apart the thing to the Lord in their life, they understood what that looked like. Notice there in verse 3, and after, then after fasting and praying, so we look at what this means to be a commissioning church, fasting and praying. Here we get this idea of praying. I wonder how many people thought this last week. We're going through our small group Bible study, Trusting God. Last week's study was on providence and sovereignty. And do you remember what the girl said? That God takes care of all the details. He orders our steps. He knows he's in control. I would say 99.9 of us walked out of there Sunday night going, well, if God is in control of every minute detail, why do we pray? Anybody think that? Am I the only one who's ever thought that? Y'all are so... Thank you, Joy. Joy and John are honest. Why do we pray if God's already working through, I'm pointing to the video, if God's already putting that shoebox, let me tell you why we pray. We pray so we can join in what God is doing. Prayer is not getting God on my agenda. See, that's what we do. Oh, good. And I love Facebook. Oh, Get the prayer. Somebody sent me a private message and told me to get the prayer wheel going. Again, I didn't say what I wanted to say. What in heaven's name is a prayer wheel? And I know this person didn't go to church. I know they didn't go to church. Oh, I know you're a pastor. Pray to get the prayer wheel going. I got a doctor's appointment. I'm all about that. And I'm like, oh, so that's what prayer is. We don't go to church, but we want to, we need something. God, I know you're busy up there with this hurricane, but I need you. Prayer is not putting God on my agenda. Prayer is me getting on his agenda. Prayer is calling out to our Heavenly Father when we do have that doctor's visit and we say, Lord, I don't want, I don't want to be sick. Will you heal me? Will you touch me? And the more we pray that prayer, the more we pray that prayer, the more we understand what God's perfect will is. And I want to remind you of this, and I need to remind this myself. I don't want to live to be 200 this side of heaven. Nick and I went to Tallahassee. Nick's a little bit older than me, a little bit. And we were both bragging on how well we had done with the chainsaw and hauling logs, and we were cutting trees, and we were getting a little, you know, not as old as we thought we were. So we get in the truck yesterday afternoon and get to the first rest stop. We both had to call 911 to get us out of the truck. <laughs> I, mean, we were, I mean, literally, we both were like, oh, goodness gracious. Oh, my goodness. I mean, usually five minutes in and we're gone. We're like, oh, my God. Little lady with a walker. Y'all need my walker? No, we're good. It's a reminder. My goal of life is not to have great knees till I'm 200 my days are numbered pointed once to die then the judgment 
Yes, I'm selfish. I want 28 grandkids, and I want to see them all. But my goal is not to have everything the way I want it while I'm here. My goal is to fast and pray so that I can see what God's will is. Here's another little story. We pulled up on a house. We, did, we went to Tallahassee. A couple of us went to Tallahassee. I don't know where y'all are going to go to go next weekend. We went to Tallahassee. Hundreds of work orders. Somebody had gone out and kind of scoped up the yards, and we got work orders. We don't have any idea what we're getting into. We go out there, and it's just two huge pine trees that have taken off the side of a house, and they're all in the yard, and we're trying to get it cleaned up. And, you know, you walk up there, and I'm the, you know, I'm the pastor. I'm the spokesman. I go up there and get in talk with you. Oh, my goodness. I have prayed all day. She's a widow. Been a widow for most of her life. She was married 19 days. And her husband went to Vietnam and lost his life. That's something. Married 19 days, went to Vietnam, lost his life. She never remarried. I was praying today. God, let somebody come help me get this tree off. I do not have the money. Anybody ever worry about money? Doesn't matter how old you are, does it? Now, were we riding down the road? Were Nick and I riding down the road? Oh, Father, we're seeking your will. No, we just... Both prayed about it and thought, hey, Nick, you want to, let's, go to, let's go to Tallahassee and we're you know, give me that work order. And there's this lady praying and we're, I guess you could say we're praying and we walk up a driveway. You know what that did for her? You know what that did for us? Nick had two logs on his shoulders running around the rest of the day. He said, man, this is exactly where we're supposed to be, isn't it? I said, I guess so. Praying is not, Lord, get the tree off my house in the sense of a, of a, you know, just picking the tree up. Praying is, Lord, you know I'm in the midst of this storm. You saw it. You know it. I need some help. Prayer is not putting God on what we need. Prayer is us getting on God's agenda. So as we think about the sovereignty, so this one makes prayer wonderful. We all get kind of nervous. Well, if God's in control of everything, why pray? That's why we pray. He's in charge of everything. Isn't that awesome? You want to talk about praying for somebody sick? When there is a great healer and a great physician, I can pray with all the authority of heaven. Heal them. It's your will. But let me tell you what's greater than being earthly healed. What do you think is better than being earthly healed? That's an answer to prayer. It's just hard on us. I still think about loved ones that have passed away, and I still am sad, and I still miss. There is not a week that goes by that I don't think about somebody, my grandparents. So I can only imagine for some of you that have lost spouses and children. And yes, our hearts are heavy, but our hearts are heavy because it shows us the goodness of the Lord. We're created in His image, and that love, and you magnify that love that we have for earthly people. That is the love that God has for His children. So even when we pray for the sick, and they're not answered the way we want it to be answered, God answers that prayer because He is God. And so we pray with boldness and authority and passion and we request and we ask and we petition to a God that we know hears our prayers and is in charge of all things. They were praying and they were fasting. 
we see in their prayer and their fasting. I, I made these little side notes for myself. Dedication, devotion, and dependence. That's what prayer is. We're dedicating our things to the Lord. We're devoted to the thing to the Lord. And we're praying because we're dependent upon everything the Lord. We know that everything we have and need, the Lord is the one that has them. Then they were ascending people. So they were a commissioning people. They prayed, they fast, they sent. Set it apart for me. Barnabas and Saul. That's hard for us because we like our stuff, our ministries, our money. You know, think about a, anybody that's involved with church. Uh, remember the days when you had the little board up on there and it had a little board on the church? Some of y'all may remember that. It had the offering and the numbers. I had a church member one time call me up and said, you know, I've been keeping track of that money. Do you think maybe you can let me borrow a few hundred dollars? And I'm like, why are you asking me? He goes, well, I just figured as you're the pastor, they give you the offering every week. Oh, it doesn't work that way. We have budgets and we have this. And so, you know, the guy didn't have a clue. You know, we, we think about our, our budget and our money. Think about this. Here, here's a word. Pray on this. Ask the pastor in, in Lynn Haven, Pastor, how can I pray for you? He said, as a pastor, I can share this with you. Pray we can meet so that I can pay the staff. Big churches, we think big churches, what do we think? I mean, I've had people tell us, how do you pastor such a large church? I was at a big church over in Tampa, one of my Ken Witten, one of my favorite pastors in the Southern Baptist Convention in Florida, Ida Wild Baptist Tampa, great church, and we were walking around there and like, oh. Pastor at First Baptist Orlando has his own Slurpee machine. I got a curie. But you know what? You know what Ken Whitten said to me. We were, it was a group. We were walking around, and you know what he said? Yeah, y'all like it, but somebody's got to pay for all this. And I thought that's a true statement. When you don't have a church building, you can't meet in, and you know that most most Southern Baptists don't just mail their tithe in when they miss. You understand that? And you can't have a church service for maybe a month or so. You worry about how the senior pastor is worried about how the staff is going to be paid. That's something to think about. You know what the Florida Baptist Convention is doing? Hey, guys, let's rally. Let's adopt one another. Let's lock arms with one another. Do you know that when the storm hit here, we had people giving money to us? We had a little church of about 15 people in New York City that Googled the storm, and it came up Avon Park, and I can't remember the dollar amount, but I think it was $1,000. That was probably their whole mission budget for the year. And saw Avon Park and First Baptist Church and sent us a check for $1,000. Isn't that incredible? When as a church, we get to a point, and all churches should be there, when we get to it, we realize this is just temporary stuff. We need not, and I always tell people, everything we need to do, we need to do with excellence, do right, be orderly, and be clean. I get that. But the early church was a sending church. 
remember Pastor Johnny Hunt talking about launching a church in Las Vegas. Now, the numbers may be a little messed up. Sometimes as preachers, we get the numbers mixed up. He said, the next Sunday morning, I lost over 150 people that moved to Las Vegas to help start a church. He said, that doesn't sound like a lot, but if you're willing to pack up and move to Las Vegas, you're tithers. I lost 150 families to go to Las Vegas to plant a church. Isn't that incredible to think about? Whatever it takes for the gospel. I am positive that James, he was a leader of the church. He did not want Paul and Barnabas to go. Why? They were too good. <laughs> well, can they not stay here and help disciple? Really need the discipling going on here in Antioch and Jerusalem. No, we're going to send them to the ends of the earth. By the way, Paul's going to be killed. But guess what? We're going to send them anyway. They were a fasting and a praying church, and they were a, a sending church. And then last, they were a going church. You know what it means to go? It's not a physical. I mean, it could be going on a mission trip. It could be going and doing Just going. Going and sharing the gospel. Going to do something. It could be to the ends of the earth. It could be a foreign country. It could be to move to Las Vegas with a church plan. I don't know where that going is. But you know what the going was? They saw a need. The first thing they did is the going person sees a need. The gospel needs to go to the ends of the earth. They saw the need and they were willing to go. They understood that the only solution is the gospel of Jesus Christ. How are they going to hear unless someone tells them? And so they go because they saw the need and they saw the solution and they realized that the Lord has laid it on my heart to do it, then I must go aren't you glad they went we are a direct byproduct of the first missionary movement of Acts chapter 13 that gospel went out and 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 went out and, went out and it, went, it just kept going the Southern Baptist Convention is not the birth of missions the church of Acts was And then as we read the rest of Acts, we see what took place. They were Christian people. They valued what it meant to be Christian people. They were a consecrated people. We can only be as a group what we are individually. You're not going to talk. Is it one of the hardest things I had to learn as a pastor? You can't talk anybody into doing anything. But when people get consecrated unto the things of the God, you don't have to talk them into anything. They just do it. And they were a commissioning people. I know there's not an individual in this room that life is not full of too much stuff. It doesn't matter where you are in life, you got too much stuff going on. But I want to say this, God wants to use you in a great way for his glory. Are you willing to do and to be the church and to take that gospel message outside of these walls and truly see an impact? Now, I'll admit, when you do these things, yes, we see the glory. Yes, we, we see someone come to know the Lord. But isn't it encouraging when you know that a God allowed you to be part of that process?
I think about sacrificial giving. There's a fear with sacrificial giving. You ever been there? I don't know. I know I need to. I know I need to do this. Is this part of the month? I don't, and then it's like the minute that you give, and the minute you step out on faith, the minute we ever step out on faith through anything, the minute we step out on that faith, God just says yes. And there's not a person I've ever met that didn't step out on faith that says, you know, I wish I'd have done this earlier. Stepping out on faith is what God wants us to do, and to be the church He's called us to be. And to be the people he's called us to be. Let's stand as we pray. Lord, we, we love you. We love you because of that cross that you died on for our sins, Lord. We're grateful for the power of the cross and redemption and forgiveness and sanctification and the way that you use us. So, Lord, I'm so thankful for First Baptist Church. I'm grateful for who we are, where we've been. I'm thankful for where we're going. But I ask this morning that you would allow us to see ourselves for who we truly are. We're not where we need to be. No church is. Let us not become complacent. Let us not become satisfied. But let us always have that acts mentality. Consecrating ourselves unto you. Sending, going, commissioning. And let us truly experience that life of faith, that living life together. And this we pray in Jesus' name.